Welcome to the Sailing to Success podcast, the show created exclusively for entrepreneurs and small business owners looking for a safe port in the storm of fast-paced business growth. Lindsay Phillips is the founder of Smooth Sailing Online Support, a company dedicated to helping entrepreneurs and small business owners increase customer service, run their business more effectively, and increase their profits. Prepare to be inspired and learn some practical tips and strategies you can use in your business today. And now, welcome your host and captain for this 30-minute excursion, Lindsay Phillips. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Sailing to Success podcast show. My name is Lindsay Phillips, and I'm your host and captain for this 30-minute excursion. Um, for those that aren't uh, familiar with me, I'm the founder and CEO of Smooth Sailing Online Support, and I'm really dedicated to helping people you know, grow their business, um, have business building strategies, practical tips, just to be more productive and, and grow the business. So that's why this uh, podcast has born. So I'm super excited to be talking to Laura Pennington today. So we're going to learn all about uh, being a freelancer and her successes and setting goals and and uh, we'll see what else we kind of dive into today. So she is a former seventh grade teacher who left the education profession in order to pursue her dream of becoming a writer. And since 2013, she's been a freelance writing full time. And her success was amazing and quick, I might add. So now she helps other people launch online careers, you know, whether it's a writer or virtual assistant and has great success uh, with that. So thank you so much, Laura, for coming on. Thank you for having me. So I'm always really interested to hear, you know, like, what did you used to do? Or what did you go to school? And it, there's always such a, it's always such a strange leap between, you know, what they used to do and what they do now. And I love to hear the stories. Um, you don't hear of many teachers, honestly, kind of jumping ship and, and changing careers. Usually they're lifers. Um, what made you decide to switch careers? You know, I had spent most of my adult life getting ready to be a teacher. I, I really mm. thought I wanted to be a professor. So when I got my master's degree from Virginia Tech, I taught there in the political science department while I was there, it sort of reconfirmed my interest in teaching. So when I graduated from there and moved from Virginia to Maryland, I took a position teaching seventh grade in Baltimore City. I wanted to get a little bit more traditional education experience while I was working on my PhD. So I right. also enrolled in a PhD program um, when went to classes at night there. What I found was that I hated <laughs> being a teacher in the public school system. It was so different from um, being in graduate school and teaching college. Yeah. Um, so I just, I saw that that was not sustainable. I mean, like you said, a lot of teachers stay there for 30 years. They retire doing it. A one year exhausted me. So I knew that it, it wasn't for me and started looking um, for alternatives. But it definitely led to a crisis of confidence because here I was in the middle of a PhD program. Yeah. You know, I had in the back of my head that this is ultimately what I was working towards. And, you know, it was no longer a fit. You know, good for you for making a change because some people are like, you know, I've invested so much time or money in education. And when they feel in their core that it's like, it's not me or it's not going to make me happy, people mm -hmm. just slug away when they're like, oh, I, this is what I was educated for. So I guess I just have to see it through. But that's not the case. 
Yeah, it's, it's not the case. And I think the sooner you figure that out, the better. I knew even going into college that I wasn't really ever going to succeed with sort of a traditional employment scenario. Right. I just always knew I was a little bit out of the box and tried to force myself into that type of a situation. And it just, it really wasn't for me. And I, I mean, I couldn't even see doing it for a couple of years, much less an entire career. So I figured to get out, you know, early on and then figure out what I wanted to do next. Yeah. And it's just following your gut, right. On, on how you feel and paying attention to that. And, and it's okay to change. I mean, God, some people change their careers when they're like 50. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, so how did you, cause it's like switching careers, like where do you start? Right. And I'm sure there's many, you know, VAs or freelancers out there that are, have experienced that. And it's like, where do you start? I mean, everyone knows, okay, set up a website, <laughs> you know, set up your social media platforms. But then like, what are those steps that, that you do to kind of bring that business? And I'm sure you've gone through your own trial and error. And I know that you're helping people not have to go through that with what you do, which is awesome. Um, so maybe I should backpedal a little bit and just say, you know, what are some of those trial and error things that you came across that you're that you want to help people avoid? Well, I think the most important thing when you're starting any business, whether you're starting totally on your own or whether you're still in a day job and you're trying to make this like a side business. That's and true. A lot of people do that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's what I did too. I, I actually took another job after teaching and I stayed there for a year while I built my freelance career. But the most important thing is getting clients like above all else. It's so easy to get hung up in this idea of, oh, well, I can't really get started until I spend $5,000 on a website or until I've been published in Huffington Post or something. No, you know, focus on getting clients because that's the only way to build your portfolio to begin having a base of people where they're giving you work or they're referring you to other people. Um, so really getting crystal clear on the offer um, that you're going to make. There's all kinds of opportunities out there when yeah. you're a virtual assistant, you know, people need help scaling their business. They don't have time to do these administrative tasks. A writer comes in because the business owner doesn't have the time, interest, or ability to write email newsletters, sales mm -hmm. copy, blog content, whatever it might be. Um, and so you need to lock down a couple of clients first. And I really think that that's the biggest hurdle that a lot of people face is getting that first client. Trust me, after you get that first client, it is so much easier, but it definitely feels hard when you're starting and you're like, I have no experience. I'm not entirely sure what I'm doing, <laughs> um, but it's also the most important aspect. That's true. And so many people, they wait, oh, I need to get this first, or I need to, I don't know, have a podcast show or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. It's like, they, like, I don't know, I'm totally the same train of thought, Laura. It's like, just, just dive in, just do it. Even though it freaks you out, just get in there, get dirty. Yeah, because you're going to learn whether you even like doing this. I mean, you might yeah. think that you're a good fit to be a VA and then you you do one job for somebody and realize you hate it and, you know, learn early rather than committing yourself to a full-time enterprise with this. Um, that's why doing it part-time works so well. You get to figure out what you're good at, what you don't like, what kind of clients you enjoy working with, and then, you know, you can go from there. But it is important to get that first client so you have the experience, you get the testimonial, you know, yeah. you, you also get quite a bit of confidence when you get that first person too that will help snowball your future business that is so true and believe in your abilities right some people are like oh i'm not good enough or you know those limiting beliefs um so how i, I i'm assuming that if you come across this or not but do people have a hard time figuring out like what their services are how they price and how they package it 
Um, do you yeah. That? Yeah, people do have a hard time with that because the choices are almost overwhelming when you first get started. So I try to help people get to the point as quickly as possible. We are not committing the rest of your life to offering this service at this price. That's okay. Um, But we do need something to get started so that you can figure out if this is the fit for you. And the easiest thing to do is something you already have experience doing or something you're passionate about and can learn quickly. So, you know, you can forego, maybe you don't know any, everything about writing sales copy, but maybe you sign up for a course that helps you learn the art of writing sales copy and you're a quick, quick learner, quick study and can kind of jump into that because you care about it. But a lot of times people do have a background in something, you know, I'd never been paid to write before I got my first writing job, mm-hmm. virtual assistants. If you've ever worked in any office scenario where you did oh, absolutely. internet research, you know, all yeah. of that translates to a VA career. So it's all about, that's the first thing I tell my students to do is to sit down and inventory your skills. What skills can you do? And then refine that list. Which of those do you really like doing and are in high demand? And then you've probably got one or even a few core offers. That's a great idea. And I like how you simplify it all. It's like, and some people don't think, oh, I don't know enough. And, but once you start pulling that out of someone's head and like writing it down, you're like, Hey, I actually do know stuff. <laughs> and, yeah. and I like how you also said, um, you know, whatever services you write up or the prices, it's not like it's written in stone for the rest <laughs> of your life. Like pick a few and then you can build on it from there, which is, which is really good advice as well. Mm-hmm. So when you obviously you grew your business really well, um, and you got success fast, how did you deal with scalability with, you know, were there times where you were like overwhelmed or had too much to do? Yeah, that is known in the freelance world as feast or famine. And it is very, very common because, um, first of all, in order to have consistent business, you usually need to be marketing consistently. So if I don't market at all in November, I'm going to feel it in December and January when I don't have any projects on tap. Right. So that's one mistake that new freelancers make. They think, Oh, I just booked five clients. Cool. Now I don't have to market myself at all for the next month. And then those projects conclude, you get paid and it's like, Oh my gosh, I have nothing for the following month. Um, so that's a real big thing to be aware of. And then there's also seasonal things. So we are about to enter what for me has traditionally been the slowest freelance month of the year, December. People are on vacation. They're out of the office. They're really not thinking about ordering things until January. Um, so that's part of the learning curve too. That's why I stayed at my day job for a year. I wanted to see what I could expect month to month. So now having gone through that, I know, okay, save extra money from the busy fall because December and usually a little bit of January is just sort of radio silence from the freelance world. So that's really important. But yeah, there's definitely been times I've been overwhelmed. And again, that's something that is personal for you. Um, I've had people that they do way more writing than me and I don't know how they're doing it. And I also have people who look at me and go, there's no way I could handle that workload. So you've got to find what works for you. I know what my personal limit is and I can tell when I'm getting close to it. And that's when I pull back on the marketing. That's when I begin telling clients, Hey, you're looking at at least a two week turnaround type of a thing. Um, But for me, the way that I've sort of eliminated the feast or famine cycle is I focus a lot on recurring business. So I try to book projects where the client needs me every single month. So that way I'm not going out and chasing down new leads and trying to convert people. Um, It gives me a lot of income predictability. 
That's a good point. And then, yeah, you, you know what's coming up and you're planning ahead. And same with, like you said, knowing the trends and what the dips and valleys are so you can plan ahead. Mm-hmm. Now, for when you say freelance, what kind of, are you just talking about copywriters or what kind of fields do you lump into that heading? Well, freelancing is becoming bigger and broader than ever wow. before because we live in a digital age and like even whether it's a small business owner or a major company, the managers there are realizing, hey, we could hire a graphic designer, a web developer, a voiceover artist, you know, whatever it might be to sit in our office and work eight hours a day. But we, one, we don't have enough work for them Two, that's super expensive and we have to pay them benefits. Exactly. Whereas they could just contract out to a freelancer, get somebody with exceptional talent, pay only for the project and leverage that relationship whenever they need to, but they're not obligated to that salary and benefit. So lots and lots of, um, freelancers out there. I mean, there's just, I'd say the biggest ones are um, content writing is huge, but also design, any web related software, um, mobile app developers, voiceover artists, graphic designers. Those are all some of the most popular types of freelancing, but there's also plenty of people who are like freelance consultants or Mm -hmm. freelance data analysts. I mean, it can really, anything you can do virtually has the potential to succeed as a freelance career. It, it always amazes me all the different like jobs, if you will, and just the freelance opportunities that are out there. Like it, it's kind of mind blowing, but it's it, it's the most amazing thing. I still get people, believe it or not, that are like, you know, my clients are in the states, and and they find out that I'm Canadian, and they're you could see their mind saying you work for them, but you're in Canada, like you're not in their <laughs> office. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think it's hopefully the good news, at least I think, is that it's becoming more and more normal, right? Like whether it's somebody you hire or like even the virtual assistants on my team, I have three key VAs. None of them are in my time zone. You know, one's one's in Canada, one's in New Mexico, one's in California. So yes, I mean, from all the way, literally, I mean, I live on the coast of North Carolina. So all the way on the other side of the country, I have people who are, are working in my business and I have clients over there too yeah. that I'm working for. So I think it's like this idea of, Oh, you must work only within your local region. Mm-hmm. It's kind of silly anymore. You know, no, it does kind of blow my mind, but it is, I always find it fascinating. And I'll like, just like you, you've got, you know, team members and clients that are kind of all over. Um, and, and as do I, and I just find that so interesting. Like, you're communicating and you have this great relationship with these people that are some of them of which you've never met, of course, <laughs> right? and that they're like spread all over. And, and even like me, you know, podcast interviewing some are, you know, in Europe. And I just love that. It just makes the world feel a little less big. Yeah. And it's such a cool way to get to know other people too, and to become more familiar with, you know, different cultures and mm. things like that. So I, I like that aspect of it. Yeah, me too. Now, part of the, you know, being a freelancer, like I automatically think of, you know, Elance, Upworks, Indeed, whatever all the other sites are. Is there one that you have that's a favorite? I do. I mean, I've done a lot of work on Upwork. Um, it, you, it actually is sort of the new, the new Elance. I mean, that's they merged over it. Yeah, it's got it's got problems. I, I and most of my clients feel this way too. That um, Upwork is sort of the 
<laughs> B list, even C list version of Elance. So they've got some bugs to work out, but it's still mm -hmm. a great place to go for freelance work and leads. And I, and I say that because despite all the bugs and all the low paying jobs you will see there, there are also real gem clients to be yeah. found there. And I've had many of them and that's where people go to look first. So you just have to know how to find those jobs yeah. and not get discouraged by saying, Oh, here's another person paying $5 for a logo or for a blog post. You have to like, just ignore those, not even give them more than one second of your time and go and really dig into the better opportunities. That's a good point. And yeah, I found one of my team members um, on Upwork, loved how he worked. And so we connected offline. I'm like, I need you on a regular basis. And it worked out really well. Yeah, two, two of mine are from Upwork as well, and they were total newbies when I hired them. And so it just, you know, it, it totally depends, but that is where people tend to go first. So there are good clients out there, you know, so just have keep the faith. Yeah, absolutely. And, but it, I mean, it can be overwhelming going into Upworks. Um, I mean, I haven't gone in there as a freelancer myself, but for those, uh, the audience out there, whether we're a VA or any kind of freelancer, I guess, what would, what tips would you give them when putting themselves out there on Upworks? Are there certain do's and don'ts? Yes. First of all, your profile needs to be really, really good. It needs to sort of succinctly say who you are. One of the most common mistakes I see is that your profile is six or eight paragraphs long. No client is reading that. No client is reading your eight paragraph pitch either. Because when you put it, you know this, you posted jobs on that site, you'll get 25, 30 or more responses. Mm -hmm. I don't have time to read 20 writing samples from one person. So I need to know in the first paragraph, are you even worth my considering reading more about you, opening your work samples? And I think far too many people just sort of throw everything but the kitchen sink at the client thinking, hey, look look at how great I am, look at this wonderful background and all this experience I have. And it really overwhelms the client. So you need to speak directly to them. You need to have an interesting first couple of sentences because otherwise they're not reading beyond that. And then of course, as I shared a little earlier, being able to drill down and search into specific types of jobs you know, if you just go into the general virtual assistant pool of jobs, there's going to yeah. be 500 or a thousand things there. So think about, okay, what, what do I really want to do? Is it social media? Do I want to manage somebody's email? Do I want to manage somebody's calendar? Use those search tools to help narrow down. Um, and you can always ex expand it back out later, but start small because otherwise you're going to get tired of bidding on jobs that aren't really a fit for you anyways. That's true. How does the bidding uh, process work? Well, a client posts a job and it's sort of an open call for proposals. So anybody who is on Upwork as a freelancer can submit a, a bid and the freelancer pays a monthly membership fee. I think it's 10 or $20. It's something very affordable hmm. for if you if you make Upwork worth it. Um, and then you have a certain number of bids that you're awarded every month. So when you start as a freelancer, you're definitely going to spend more bids than um you know, you, as if you were more established, but you're going to um, use two, two bids or four bids on a particular job. The client will review all of the materials that come in mm -hmm. and then um, decide who they want to work with. They might have a phone call with some people. They might email or message back and forth to see if someone's the right fit. And then they will hire a person and kind of 
depending on whether it's an hourly job or an escrow job, if it's a fixed price job, the client will fund escrow. Um, basically, Upwork holds the money until the job is complete and then releases it to the freelancer. It's a gesture of good faith for the freelancer um, that the client actually has the money. Yeah. And then if you do an hourly job, if you use Upwork's tracker and the client has a verified payment status, you are protected so long as the work you were doing with the tracker was actual work for the client. So, you know, if they've got screenshots of you playing around on Facebook, they're not going to protect your payment. But if it's legitimate work and you can say, hey, I did spend two hours on this, Upwork will back you up in the event of a dispute. So that's why that site is so great for new freelancers. Mm -hmm. Taking down money is really something you don't want to be doing really no. ever in your freelance business no. when you're a beginner. So this peace of mind you get from knowing, oh, okay, my client hired me on a $200 job. The $200 has been funded into escrow. Now I just have to finish the job and get paid. Nice. And that is a good feature. Cause I mean, it, you're meeting these people, you have no idea who the heck they are. And likewise. Yeah. Um, now, do you on your Upwork's uh, profile have to put like what your what your rate is or do you have any recommendations when it comes to that part of it? Yeah, I recommend putting sort of a dummy placeholder rate. Um, lately, I have been hired by more clients who just see my profile and just hire me like they don't actually email me directly, which I find interesting because usually I will tailor my hourly rate or my bid based on what the project is. Some things are more technical than right. others and things like that. But you do want to have a decent, you know, don't put $5 an hour. Likewise, don't put $100 an hour unless you are, you know, doing something that's worth $100 an hour. And you want to talk about your background. Um, if you're just starting out and you don't have experience or feedback from clients, rely on whatever else you can. So is it that your work is phenomenal? Is it that you've never missed a deadline? Um, do you have extensive experience that makes you a qualified candidate? Rely on some of those other things when you're just getting started to push through the obstacle of, you know, my profile on Upwork has a lot of feedback from clients. Somebody who is new, they won't have that benefit. So that's why it's important to use other features to land your first couple clients. And for goodness sakes, give those first few clients an amazing experience because you want five-star feedback. Absolutely. It's much like eBay, you know, we're not going to buy from a seller that has 50% right. positive feedback. So every experience and especially your first few needs to be really good. Yeah, that's great uh, feedback. There's pictures for uh, the profile, isn't there? Yes. And unless you are going to be managing a team of people, use a picture of you. I mean, this, the client is already hiring a total stranger, but it might be tempting to put your business logo. I did that for a while and I found that it just did not convert the same as when I used an actual picture of me and my name. They want to know that they're you know, sometimes people will be open to hiring a company, but if you're just an individual solopreneur, it helps someone who's a total stranger see you as a human being and be interested in hiring you. That's so true. And I know people are, I mean, some people are very visual, right? And just kind of get a read for people, um, you know, whether they, I don't know, whether it's true or not, you know, whether they think they're trustworthy or not based on a picture. I mean, yes, you shouldn't judge a book by its cover, but it's human nature. Absolutely. <laughs> now, starting out as a freelancer, um, I mean, we all have lofty aspirations and visions, which is awesome. And, you know, you want to, you know, have six figures in two years or whatever it may be. Um, how do you help people with those kinds of goals? Because it, it is hard to know when you're starting out, you know, what should I reach for in the first year? What is, you know, achievable and not achievable? How do you help people with that? 
I try to get a sense of, first of all, how much time does the person have to devote to this? So some of the yeah. students that I work with, they, a lot of them, in fact, have another job. They have a full-time job that they're looking to get out of. So it's not realistic to say that you're going to spend 20 hours a week in your freelance business. It's right. To, if, especially if you have a family, I mean, that's just not happening. So I try to help them with realistic goals. Like let's, let's focus on you making $250 this month and then let's focus on a thousand dollars or $500 and then a thousand and sort of scale it up because yes, you can absolutely build a business where you have $3,000 in recurring contracts or 5,000 in recurring contracts very quickly. Um, but a lot of times it, it takes an effort to get there and people have all this motivation at the beginning, but then realize, oh, I actually have to do the work to get there. And I don't, <laughs> I don't have the time or whatever it might be. So um, it's important to have realistic goals and start mm. small because you want to give yourself small wins as the freelancer. Yeah. You want to be proud of yourself when you do hit $500 a month. And realistically, I mean, I think the statistic is something like less than 8% of freelancers will break the six figure mark. So if you do that, mm. you're among an elite few. It's absolutely possible, um, but you have to work really, really hard to do that. And so don't, don't, you know, it can be just as devastating to have this big goal of, oh, I'm going to make a hundred thousand dollars in my first year. And then you don't meet it and you feel like a, a failure and you're not a failure. It takes time to get there. It takes a lot of effort and work within the business. So it, it, you know, be mindful of reasonable goals and then celebrate and set new ones when you surpass them. Absolutely. And it's, and plus, I mean, the online marketing world, I mean, it's ever changing and just even that learning curve of how to market yourself and run your own business, let alone your own skill set that you have. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a learning curve. There's always going to be a learning curve and you might start out, you know, I did not intend to become a legal writer or an insurance writer, mm -hmm. but I found that those were both well-paid. They were something I liked writing about and it was easy to get clients there. So be open to business, what you like and what you don't like, because you That's can true. learn a lot of key lessons and say, all right, I'm never working with a client like that again, or I'm never doing that kind of project. And really lasering in on a couple of key types of things can help you make the most money and also have the most happiness with your business. For sure. And I mean, Lord knows those, you know, back in years ago, it's the tasks that I, you know, have done. And then as I move along, I realize, you know what, I actually don't like doing that. <laughs> so I don't, you know, and I've eventually realized that it doesn't make me happy and it's my own business. So um, I stopped doing those things and it felt so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You have to give yourself permission. Um, if something isn't working for you to say, okay, you know, that's all right. I don't mm -hmm. have to do this, you know, and um, that's definitely been my path is just doing something mm -hmm. um, that I felt was right for me, but maybe other people wouldn't have wanted to do. So you have to, you have to be aware of that. Cause at the end of the day, yes, this is a business and you want to make money, but it's your life too. So it should be something you at least like, you know, bare minimum, we want to like it or tolerate <laughs> it. You know, it yeah. shouldn't be something where you wake up and you dread doing it ever. God, no. Um, and yeah, and saying yes to jobs that you, in your heart, know you should have said no to. Been there. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all have. Oh it's a my God. lesson. I know. And then you realize what your, your perfect uh, client avatar is and isn't along the way as well. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it's, all, it's all a journey, isn't it? 
it, it is a journey. And so even when you, you know, have a mentor or you take a course, don't expect that that is going to solve every problem oh, in your business because every level you hit, I think a lot of people think, oh, once I make 50K or once I make 100K, there will be no more problems. No, you just unlocked a new level of problems. They're different. <laughs> There's always going to oh be God, challenges, yeah. you know. Um, but yeah, you learn from your past experience, whether it's about clients or the type of projects you work on, how you structure your day. You can learn from all of that and really calibrate it to be just right for you. That's so true. And even like your goals that you set for yourself the first year, like you said, in a couple of years, you have different goals or different needs. It's you're not stuck, you know, to one thing. Exactly. Yeah. I constantly am, am thinking about, I mean, I'm even doing it right now as we're looking ahead to a full 2017 and saying, okay, you know, I met my goals for recurring revenue and general revenue this year. So how am I pushing myself in 2017? So it's always something that you're, you're working to change too. I know. And that's the fun part of being an entrepreneur. I know it's, I don't know about if you feel the same way, but entrepreneurs have a different mindset and that we're so driven. <laughs> yes. we always, you know, once we do achieve something, it's like, okay, how can we change that? How can we improve it? What else can we get? Mm -hmm. What else can we achieve? But I love it. <laughs> now for you, I guess, which is pretty neat is, you know, you do speaking, you still do the writing, but you're also teaching uh, people. I mean, you, you're wearing so many hats, which is there a part of your business that you love the most? Yeah, this is the, you know, this is also the entrepreneur's challenge because we frequently have multiple irons in the fire, yeah. um, which can be a good thing sometimes. So, but also can be, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm pulled in multiple different directions. Yeah. So, I mean, I love writing for my clients, but I also love working with my students because when I get a student who has a lot of success or when they send me an unsolicited testimonial, I mean, I put so much blood, sweat, and tears yeah. into the course and coaching side of my business. And honestly, it, as of right now, it's just not as profitable as the writing side. So it's a lot more work for me with much less, you know, traditional payoff in terms of revenue, but I like it so much. And so then when you get that positive comment from somebody or somebody tells you, Hey, I booked my first three clients or, you know, like I even coached my own VAs on how to land other business on Upwork and, you know, they've landed $1,000 and $3,000 in recurring contracts. And it's like, that is like, okay, what I'm doing is worth it, you know, despite the yeah. long days. And sometimes <laughs> I feel, you know, like, oh, this is so much work, but then you get something like that and you, you feel that it was, it was worth all that effort. No doubt. Well, it's their win, but it's also your win too. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it, for me, it makes me feel like I'm still relevant because I always have this fear of like, what if I am just talking about things that only work for me? <laughs> so I'm always like, that's why I try to, you know, work with other people and, and make sure that what I'm talking about is actually still true. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good thing. <laughs> yes. Awesome. So um, tell everyone out there how they can, I know you've got courses and you've got programs. Um, let's dig into how you can help the everyone out there, entrepreneurs, freelancers. There's so many of them. Sure. So all of my writing advice is housed at sixfigurewritingsecrets.com. It's all spelled out. And then all of my advice for anyone who's thinking, hey, I don't really know that I want to write. I'm not comfortable with my writing, but you know you want to work online. Being a virtual assistant is kind of the easiest way to break into the online work world. That advice is at your way to VA. Um, that's spelled T-O-V-A at the end. 
com. And um, I give lots of, I also have like a free course for each of those groups. So freelance writers can learn how to determine their ideal um, freelance writing niche. And then my course for brand new VAs is sort of all about why the opportunity to be a VA is so hot right now. And then four steps you need to take to get started. And all of my courses are found at laurateachesyou.com. I was on there. You have some great courses and great price points, I might add. I did that on purpose because <laughs> I remember 2012 Laura getting started yeah. and she was broke and she was not spending more than a hundred or 200 <laughs> bucks on anything. Like, Oh, I remember like, those days too. Yeah, exactly. So I was like, you know, my audience is beginners. I get it. I've been yeah. there. So I try to make it affordable because what if you decide this isn't right for you? I don't That's want true. you to invest too much money and then find that out. It's nice that you're a giver, Laura. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on my show. I've learned tons and I know um, I have tons of VAs and freelancers in my audience. Um, so you've definitely shared some amazing tips and we'll obviously have those links um, on the show notes too. Okay. Fabulous. Thank you so much for the opportunity. You betcha. So that is it today, guys, for the Sailing to Success podcast show. So you can get this episode um, and my podcast show, of course, videos and blogs at lindsayphillips.com. And uh, if you are looking for a, a virtual assistant and online support, um, you can go to ssonlinesupport.com so I can help you grow your business and success. So until next time, folks, I wish you all a productive and profitable week and may the win always be at your back. You've been listening to the Sailing to Success podcast, the show created exclusively for entrepreneurs and small business owners looking for a safe port in the storm of fast-paced business growth. To make sure you don't miss a single profit-boosting show, subscribe to this podcast at iTunes and www.sailingtosuccesspodcast.com. To learn more about how Lindsay and her team can help you increase customer service, run your business more effectively, and increase your profits, go to www.ssonlinesupport.com. That's www.ssonlinesupport.com. Now go and implement what you've learned and come back next week for more Sailing to Success podcasts.